Good morning. You know, I see several people in the narthex today. God bless you. There is room in the church. Just a reminder, there is no HVAC in the narthex. So it's hot, hot, like, like hell in the narthex. So uh, maybe that's a good symbol for all of us, right? As we approach uh, the, uh, Holy Week, right? Probably most generations have moments that they'll never forget because they're traumatic and thus etched in the collective memory, the Titanic, Pearl Harbor, Kristallnacht that led to World War II, the assassinations of John F. Kennedy or Abraham Lincoln, Hurricane Katrina, the loss of the Space Shuttle Challenger, 9-11, and so on. The passage taken from St. Luke's Gospel today refers to two events that were familiar to ancient audiences for the same reason, trauma. The details, however, are lost as St. Luke is really the only source, historical source, about these events that we have. The grisly mention of Pilate mingling the blood of Galileans with their sacrifices refers to a massacre of pilgrims in Jerusalem. The narrative doesn't reveal why Pilate was so mean, slaughtering these people. Maybe it was even random or arbitrary. But it alludes to Pilate's penchant for brutality, an ominous prediction of the Roman governor's continued violence in advance of his appearance at Jesus' trial on Good Friday. It's all starting to mount. His behavior sounds very Putin-esque, if you know what I mean. Jesus also refers to the collapse of the Tower of Siloam. That warning, 18 people perish tragically killed, making us wonder why bad things happen to, to unsuspecting, often good people throughout history. I must admit, as a pastor, sometimes it's the hardest thing of which I grapple because people come wanting answers about such things. Jesus seizes on these two disasters probably because they were the conversations around the local watering hole. One, an instance of state-sanctioned terror and the other just a random accident. But both saw people snuffed out without warning that reminds us of the fragility of human life. You know, a PR manager today might have encouraged Jesus to defend God against charges of mismanagement on earth in these two tragedies. But Jesus doesn't. He does suggest that equating tragedy with divine punishment is an error. Most often, tragedies just happen and remind us of the brevity of human life and the short time also that we have to get life right. Conversely, Jesus is also speaking to those who have been insulated from tragedy and trauma. Maybe he's speaking to us. That is, we shouldn't, we shouldn't mistake our good fortune as evidence of God's special blessing on us either. So what gives? What is Jesus's point? Jesus is wanting to talk about repentance and the need for it universally for, as a universal reality for mankind, a message that is relevant today as it was then. When Jesus says twice, unless you repent, you will all perish like the others did, he doesn't promise that the godless will be punished more, and he refers to death not only about the death of our bodies, but most especially of the destruction of one's soul as he emphasizes the sadness with which death comes after years of 
neglect and carelessness. And just as Pilate and the tower's victims didn't enjoy the luxury of choosing the time of their demise, something that I'd like to do, likewise the unrepentant today will suddenly find uh, they've delayed repentance far too long. We can easily insert tragedies in our own day that demonstrate the unpredictability of life. You know, racial tensions that boiled over in recent years, COVID-19, or the war in Ukraine, for example. It also reminds us that some of our actions please God, and some don't. And those that don't are called sins. They're real. They destroy us and those around us. So Jesus urges his hearers against that false sense of security in life. And when we face tragedy, we often awake to the sense of urgency of which Jesus speaks and that our eternal salvation is at stake. Jesus then proceeds with a parable, the parable of the fig tree, and that same eminent judgment, a cultivated yet unproductive tree may continue to live without bearing fruit only because it's been granted mercy. Additional time to do what it's supposed to do. But unless it begins to bear the fruit of repentance for its sloth, the result will be its destruction. Again, the parable emphasizes that God God's patience temporarily keeps judgment at bay, and the gardener offers a crucial characterization of this patience and mercy. And everything possible is done to get the tree to act as it should. Similarly, God doesn't leave us to our own resources, but he helps us. He encourages us towards repentance, most especially today during Lent. The parable seems to be straightforward. God is the vineyard owner, the gardener is Jesus, and the tree is whoever needs to get right and to get on with repentance. The parable comes, though, with with its suspense that could be like news headlines of the modern day. Will fruit emerge in time to thwart the axe? How will this season of second chances play itself out? But notice that the headlines are more about God, really, than they're about us. God, in other words, is on our side in the vineyard as we repent. He longs for us to share in happiness and intimacy with him through Jesus. Tragedy and hardship might occur as a way of nudging people toward the divine, toward God. We say the scripture is good news, but Jesus' words about judgment and repentance are scary, frankly. But this gospel is also connected to the Lenten season. Our Lenten observances are priming us towards repentance, leaving old ways behind so that we might produce the fruit of repentance in the vineyard. And the point of that Lenten repentance is Easter joy, that we find the peace in the precarious nature of our fleeting existence. You know, I spoke earlier about the tragedy in Ukraine. I have to say, when I see human suffering like this, I often pray more intensely. Scripture seems to speak more loudly, as does the spiritual writings of the saints. 
You may have heard, for example, this week that Pope Francis will consecrate Ukraine and Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on Friday, the Feast of the Annunciation, at noon, our time. The consecration of Russia was first requested by Our Lady of Fatima on July 13, 1917, in an apparition to the three shepherd children of Fatima, Lucia and Saints Francisco and Jacinta. In her memoir, published in 1941, Sister Lucia wrote that the Blessed Virgin Mary told the children that the consecration by a pope in communion with prayer and repentance and reparation by the faithful would prevent the spread of errors in Russia and bring peace, something we desperately need in our world today. So if you can make it to Rome to pray with Pope Francis on Friday, go. But if you can't, we're going to pray a rosary at the same time, the exact same time, whether permitting, out on the sports fields, so as many of us can go and pray together as possible. If not, we'll pray here in the church. And if you can't come, definitely try to pray during your lunch hour. As it is an historic event in the life of the church, our entire school will be there. And I invite all of you to come with that same sense of urgency that Jesus is calling us to in repentance. That is Friday, the solemnity of the Annunciation at high noon. So may God bless us with repentance during this Lenten season and with his peace.